Inquirers, and welcome to the show. Today, as fascinating as it may be, we will be diving into some very dark concepts, including, but not limited to, MK Ultra and sex magic. That being said, if there are any sensitive ears nearby, I definitely recommend listening through headphones instead. But before we can get into that, of course, if you guys don't mind taking an extra five seconds to rate the show on Spotify, I definitely appreciate it. Or if you're willing to take an extra 30 seconds to leave an awesome five-star review for the show on iTunes, then I will uh, definitely read it on the show and, of course, give you guys a shout-out. Uh, if you guys aren't already following the show on social media, I definitely recommend doing so if you guys want to get some uh, updates on the show and see some other cool, interesting things that I happen to post. Uh, if you guys want to pop in and have some awesome conversations with some awesome people, you guys can definitely go and check out the Telegram or the Discord. Uh, as far as the Discord goes, uh, I'm doing my best over there to try to build that up some more. Uh, it's becoming a lot more active, so I definitely recommend that you guys pop in and uh, help interact and make it more active. I've been restructuring it a bit, making it a little bit easier to traverse, and uh, I put everything in better order, and I made a couple other uh, new tabs, of course, for different topics to talk about. Um, there's a lot going on over there, so I definitely recommend if you aren't already on there to go and check it out, see what it has to offer. Um, and it's only going to keep improving, of course, and I'm definitely taking suggestions so if anybody pops in there and they have any suggestions for uh, different threads they want to see on there, anything like that, um, just shoot me a message and uh, I'll see what I can do, of course. And on that note of shooting me a message, if anybody is interested in being a guest on the show, whether you're an author, researcher, experiencer, contactee, paranormal investigator, cryptozoologist, anything like that, the list goes on and on. I definitely want to sit down and have an open-minded conversation with you. So don't hesitate to shoot me a message on Instagram, which is the one I'm the most active on, or you guys can email me at inquiriesofallrealitypodcast at outlook.com. Or you can go to the link tree and fill out the submission form, and that'll go directly to my email. And I do request that uh, if you guys email me that you keep an eye on your spam or junk folder, make sure nothing gets lost. Uh, be it that I do a show, I do send out a lot of links, so a lot of uh, email providers take me as spam, but that's not the case. So make sure the response doesn't get missed because anybody that sends me a message, uh, I will take the time, of course, to sit down and respond to you. And if you guys can't get enough of the content I put out, I definitely recommend if you aren't already to go and check out Bizarre Encounters. That's my other show that I do with my two awesome co-hosts, Oren and Jenny. And if you guys want to keep tabs on everything that I'm doing, uh, you guys can go and check out Open Minds Media. That's uh, what I kind of call my podcast production company. So if you want to get updates on any new shows that might be coming out in the future, um, 
or just you want to go to a one-stop shop page where you can get updates and know when episodes are coming out for all the shows that I do, uh, go and check out Open Minds Media. And uh, while we're talking about Open Minds Media, you guys can go and check out the Open Minds Media Patreon. Uh, there you'll get early access to this show, Bizarre Encounters, uh, ad-free episodes of everything, uh, live episodes of everything, live replays if you're not able to make it to the lives, which is the uh, video format of all the episodes. Uh, there's exclusive discounts for the merch store. There's going to be some exclusive giveaways happening in the future. Uh, there's multiple tiers over on the Patreon, so go and check them out and see which one uh, suits you the best, of course. If you guys want to, you can always donate to the show directly through PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, or Red Circle, which is the RSS host for the show. Uh, anything that goes towards donations is going to be going towards being able to go to conventions this year. So not only does it benefit me where I can actually get out and meet you guys, but it benefits you guys if you guys want to sit down and have a conversation with me or meet me in person. And uh, I definitely request that if it doesn't give you an option to leave like a personalized message or at least your name, uh, shoot me a message. Let me know that you donated stuff because I want to give you guys a shout out on the show if you guys are so kind as to do that. And uh, if that is the case and you guys are somebody that goes to conventions, uh, let me know which conventions you're going to and I'll let you know if it's one that I might be at. And uh, maybe we can sit down and actually meet in person there, which would be absolutely great because I see that there's a bunch of you guys out there. There's a bunch of you guys that listen to the show. I don't know all of your guys' faces as much as I'd like to. So any faces that want to pop out of the woodwork, because uh, it's always nice to be able to put a face to uh, all the people that you're talking to. And uh, the third way, of course, that you guys can support the show is by checking out the Open Minds Media merch store. They're just like the Patreon. You won't just find uh, stuff for inquiries of our reality, but you'll also find Bizarre Encounters. Uh, you can also find the Open Minds Media logo on a few things if you guys are interested in that. Uh, if anybody buys anything off the merch store, it'd be really cool if you don't mind sending me a picture of you wearing it because I'd love to repost it on the page and uh, show that there's love and support out there. And uh, while we're talking about love and support, uh, if you guys haven't checked out uh, Crypto Theology, I de definitely recommend doing so. Uh, there's always some new awesome designs that he's uploading. Uh, the newest one that I've seen is a parody of The Crow, the uh, comic book slash movie that uh, came out back in the 90s, but it's done in Mothman style. So if you guys haven't seen that, uh, I definitely recommend going and uh, checking it out. Everything that I mentioned, of course, all available under the link tree, which is uh, down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show. Please welcome to the show, author, MK Ultra survivor, and anti-trafficking activist, Juliet M. Engel, MD. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Shane. So, Glad to be here. I've uh, heard you actually on a couple other shows was absolutely fascinated by your story and everything that you've uh, that you've done in your life because you've had a very uh, you've had a lot of interesting things that have happened in your life on both sides of the spectrum being dark and the good things that you've done. So for anybody that isn't familiar with who you are and what you do, uh, why don't you kind of give them a kind of a brief idea before we really start digging into your history? Okay, first of all, I'm old. I'm 74 and very proud of making it to 74. <laughs> So I've had a lot of time to do a lot of things. And I started, started. Uh, I suppose the, the dark part, darkest part of the journey was being sold into MKUltra by my parents when I was six and uh, being placed in a program called uh, uh, Sex Magic. And it was part of the Secret Butterfly Program, which was the Monarch Program. And uh, I'm sure that I was placed there because my 
grandfather, all his brothers were all OSS CIA operatives that worked in Project Paperclip, and my uncle was one of the founders of the NSA. And I didn't know it until much later, but several of the oldest cousins in the different families were placed in these MKUltra programs. And ultimately, by the time I figured that out, I was the only survivor. And uh, so I grew up to the age of 17 in the MKUltra program, being programmed to be basically a, uh, I was supposed to be a, a real girl, which is like a, a sexy, seductive scientist spy, and uh, went through all the programming, which includes ritualistic abuse and sexual abuse and uh, splitting a part of your personality into different identities and um, got to the age of 17 and was dancing in Laurel Canyon and around Monterey as a party favor, basically. Um, realizing that either I gave my soul to the, to the MK Ultra handlers, at which time all the torture, all the, all the uh, physical pain, all the moving around, all the degradation would end, and I'd get a ride to Harvard or anywhere I wanted to go and um, eventually move up in the, in the world, get all the bling. The thing is, I wouldn't have a soul. So, I th and I think you're seeing that, uh, that it was just so much, would have been so much easier to just give up my soul and, and take, take the success and the bling on the worldly plane, but I couldn't do that. The other alternative was they kill me. The third is that I kill myself. The fourth was that I escaped. So I did escape. I escaped from uh, a place called Murphy Hot Springs, which is now Esalen, which is now a glitzy retreat in uh, Monterey. But at that time, it was a cornfield with a hot spring where they brought record execs and got them in compromising positions and took photos, blackmailed them. And that was, that was my job. And um, I escaped by stealing a car with my handler in it. I couldn't get him out. He was passed out from, from all the drugs he'd been taking and selling around Monterey. And I drove all the way up to Grants Pass, Oregon, and um, with him in the car. So I, I committed car theft. I had no license. I um, was probably high at the time. Had no shoes, no purse, no money, no nothing. I, but I did have a place at the University of Washington if I could get there from California. So I was going, and uh, nothing was going to stop me. And when I got to Grants Pass, Oregon, uh, I'd finally gotten him out of the car and I discovered that he had a big wad of dough in his glove box. So I took that, so I stole his money. And he had a car full of uh, green stamps, if you know what those are. Those are things we used to get for buying gas and groceries and then you turn them in and you get suitcases and <laughs> basically just about any, anything I needed for college, I got with green stamps, his green stamps. And uh, I went off to University of Washington, dressed up like any other co-ed, and forgot forgot all the MK Ultra training and programming until much later when my daughter was born. And but between that period of time, I worked my way through college, worked my way through med school, graduated first in my class of medical school, um, started a practice, a radiology practice, got my boards in radiology. Um, did a lot of research, had my own, developed my own medical technical company, and I did a lot of consulting for like 
Microsoft and uh, the the uh, different uh, they're not around anymore, but the different uh, companies that were developing medical uh, technology like MRI and CT that was all being developed then. And uh, but then my daughter was born, and I started remembering because I looked at this little replica of me and trying to remember what what had happened to me. And by that point, I. My parents were gone. I didn't have anyone to ask. I, I had no idea what was happening to me and why all this crazy stuff was going on in my mind. So I'll, I'll, I'll skip ahead a bit because um, I, I chose to go to a psychiatrist and I chose to start getting help and I chose to start working my way through this. So at least I could ma manage all this crazy stuff that was coming up in my head and in my life. And and uh, wasn't making any sense, but I learned to manage it. And then I got invited to Russia. And uh, I was invited to Russia as a medical technical specialist because they were, they, they realized this was just as the Iron Curtain opened. So this was 1990. So the Iron Curtain was opening and they wanted um, Americans and Europeans to come over and consult on how they could improve their, their birthing hospital system. So I went and um, had the strangest sense when I got there that I'd been there before to the point where I even knew language and I knew the names of streets. I mean, it was, it was a crazy experience. Almost like brainwashing or like you'd actually like physically been there before? Felt like I'd been there before. I hadn't, but I'd been programmed to go. And, and, uh, in retrospect, I was actually programmed to go and to go to a specific place and to find this this uh, this uh, strategic location, which happened to be the center of all communications for the Soviet Union, which was in a very in, in a eight stories down in a, the Ross Telecom building, which is eventually I had an office right next to the Ross Telecom building, and. Um, it took it took me a while to figure out why I kept going there, but I did. I go. I went there. I eventually got up down the eight floors and into this empty space, which had once been the telecommunications center. So in the nineteen fifties and sixties, when I was being programmed to go there and spy on it and do specific things, it was a really hot target. By the time I got there, thirty years later, there was nothing but a few candy bar wrappers, you know. Uh, they'd been long gone and moved into satellites. But it was a bizarre thing to, to be starting to remember, to trip trip over these memories in a place that was so foreign and have that seem so much at home. Then I found out eventually that the head of Gayaru, which is the uh, Russian military intelligence, had been at Bletchley Park with my uncle. So everybody knew each other, except I didn't know this. And um, probably had something to do with why they were so supportive of me coming there and really helping reform their hospital system. And um, eventually from there, discovering that children were being trafficked, being sold at birth and then abandoned into orphanages where they were sold over time. And um, thousands and thousands of children were being trafficked through the orphanage system, but they were always also being trafficked from Central Asia into the orphanage system in Russia, and then from there all around the world. So, um, 
Do you think that your original programming was that you were, since you said that you're so familiar with this area, do you think that they were intending for you to go to this area to almost like help with sex trafficking? And then because you became aware of everything, you just kind of flipped onto the opposite side and almost kind of used their deja vu uh, implanted memories almost like against them? I can't, I can't say that isn't true. I, I think, um, I think I got to the strategic objective, but 30 years too late, you know, because I'd left at 17 and I didn't get back to Russia until I was uh, close to 40. So, um, you know, it's, that's over 20 years in time span, but there was definitely programming in there. So I, I think I jumped ship sort of halfway, half-baked, but clearly, um, I mean, I, I had studied with Alexander Kerensky um, at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. I went to school at Palo Alto High School for a year. And during that year, I would go over to Stanford University and as part of the MKUltra program and got lectured by Alexander Kerensky. I don't know if you know who he is, but he was the first president of Russia after the revolution. So when the Mensheviks took over um, after the revolution and before the civil war, it was quite a quite a moderate government, and they were trying to get organized this before the Bolsheviks took over. And uh, Alexander Kerensky was the president, and then he was driven out by um, Lenin and the Bolsheviks during the Civil War. And then he came to California to Stanford University, where he taught me. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, so I had kind of an interesting, interesting. Uh, introduction to Russia, sort of going in there backwards without realizing the connections that I had. Plus, it turns out I am a large percentage Russian, and I didn't know that at the time. So uh, I spent the next 20 years um, working on uh, organizing um, NGOs, governments, police, uh, all over the former Soviet Union to work against human trafficking. And honestly, they were more open to it than people are here. I think they realized the scale of the problem was, so, was enormous. And so we were able to point it out. But it, at that time, I had no idea, really, that the United States was was uh, such a hotbed of, of uh, not only sending as a sending country, transit country, and receiving country. But... Um, it almost seems like they out. sent you there to almost try to pass the blame on because I feel like they, 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 the U.S. government's been so heavy into trafficking for so long that it seems like anytime they try to get somebody to kind of figure out what's going on, it's almost like they're intentionally trying to kind of steer the, the, the eyes away from themselves and make it look like the problem's elsewhere. When realistically, like most of these countries that are high trafficking areas, you start looking into where the kids are going and more often than not, it's either people like islands that are owned by people that are elites in the United States or they're coming into the United States. Like it all seems to be linked uh, more often than not to, you know, people that are associated with the United States, especially the government. Yeah, unfortunately true. Uh, we were one of the first grantees, this would be in like uh, mid nineties from the uh, office to monitor and combat human trafficking, which is the state department's anti-trafficking department. And uh, so we got funding to do uh um, protests in Russia and civil actions and and gather data on the trafficking throughout that region of the world. 
But what, what we found when we did it, we did a chat room. We did a coast-to-coast uh, Vladivostok to Kaliningrad chat room. That's 11 time zones. Talk about exhausting, plus it was in Russian. <laughs> and and uh, gathered over 500,000 pieces of information, of data about what the trafficking situation was across the country. And it was huge. But the real shocker that it was so huge, I mean, it was like in some places it was 27, 30% of families had been affected by it. It was just enormous. Oh, wow, yeah. And, and uh, But what we found is that the two major receiving countries for trafficking women, children, and migrants were Germany and the United States. And we could, we could narrow that to two regions. It was New York and Virginia Beach. And um, we got to the point where we could identify specific agencies that were sending people and give, get information about flights through the Moscow police who are helping us all the time. And uh, so I took all this information. I took it to the State Department. I took it to Congress. I took it to International Narcotics and Law Enforcement, INL, which folds in the FBI and DHS and all these agencies when they work overseas. And uh, nobody wanted to hear it. Of course. <laughs> no, it was just amazing. I brought the data. Every time I presented it, I made the data bigger. And I made it bigger sheets. I made it in brighter colors. I made it so I could stick it right in their faces. And they wouldn't look. <laughs> They're intentionally like, hoping that you would bring up data for somewhere else. And uh, as soon as you flipped yeah. it back on them, they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. Because the whole purpose I realized of the trafficking in persons report, which they put out every year, is to put the United States right at the top as the number one trafficking fighting country in the world. When in the truth was something quite different, but they weren't going to look at that. So I was at odds with them from that point on. And um, so I wrote about, I've written about that. I wrote about, I wrote a book. My first book is um, Sparky Surviving Sex Magic, which talks about the uh, MKUltra indoctrination and uh, growing up in the sex magic program, which is important for people to read because uh, the, the kinds of rituals that, that are, are conducted uh, now, it's, it's only gotten worse. It hasn't decreased any since I was a child. Um, the for Saturnalias that were held at Disneyland in California. I was going to ask too, for all the listeners that obviously have heard the term sex magic, like quite frequently, uh, like how would you, how would you describe sex magic for somebody that isn't like familiar with the, what exactly it is? Cause I feel like there's a lot of confusion on what it might actually be just because of the name, like people trying to piece stuff together. But I feel like it's a lot different than what people would assume that it is. Yeah, because it's not it's not any fun, you know. <laughs> I I can't stand watching ads for oh the magic kingdom and it's so magic and magic's an evil thing. It's it's really um what it refers to is manipulation through sexual energy. So um and it involves having your own sexuality basically physically destroyed so that you can be detached from it and use it to manipulate other people. And a lot of it um, revolved around, I think they picked people that uh, 
I had what they called PSI, PSI, which is um, I've been watching the Netflix show Stranger Things, which mm-hmm. girl from MK Ultra has all these powers about. It wasn't like that, <laughs> but but uh, there's a lot of truth in that. So somebody who'd been through this consulted on that, or uh, there's a lot of truth in in that in that program with a lot of comic book on top of it. But sex magic is really a way that um, it's, it's manipulation using uh, sex, sexual energy, seduction without any emotion attached to it. So it's basically whoring for the government. So you break down somebody's sexuality to the point where they don't feel love or any type of actual connection with anybody. And they more so see it as a tool. And in turn, because they don't feel like, sex is like something that you share with like a significant other, then they're able to manipulate people into doing what they want uh, through sexual acts. So people hear it as like sex magic, but it's not necessarily like magic as people like would assume that it is. It's more so like manipulation through sex because the person that's doing it has no uh, like, like love tie involved with, with intercourse. Right. Yeah. It's, it's strictly a tool and, and it does, it's more than just physical seduction. It is all kinds of body language and seduction and, and, and uh, manipulation. And, uh, and they started us out really early, taking us to Disneyland. They dressed the little girls up real pretty. Turned me, they kept taking me to Frontierland. They just dropped me off in Frontierland. And I had to go find a daddy, get the daddy to buy me a meal, then get him to take me on the wild toad ride. And uh, there was a part in the ride where the light comes, approaches you in your little car, and, and it looks like a train is about to hit you. Actually, the cameras, there's a camera there, and it's taking pictures. And I had to get the daddy in a compromising position with his hand up my skirt, and I got very good at it. So it's, just, it's manipulation for survival and... and um, yeah, there's a lot to it, and and I write about it in Sparky because the magic is is uh, it's not really it's it it is a it is a projection of of energy. It's a reading of energy, and actually working in a country where you don't know the language, and uh, even though I eventually did speak Russian, I didn't speak Farsi or any of the other languages, and but it didn't matter because I could just read people's energies. When you were Not like a book, but I mean, yeah, I was very comfortable just being uh, knowing when there was danger, knowing when there was was uh, goodwill, knowing you know. So I, I, th- I attribute that to sex magic training. <laughs> really understanding psychology at its base roots. <laughs> yeah, and then I had to give that up to come to the Lord. I, for I was going to ask too for for these men that you were finding at um at Disney. Uh, was there like intentional like targets like they seemed like they were trying to specifically blackmail somebody or was it just kind of like training in general or was it also just trying to like almost break apart family units like were you looking for like men that were with the family or like men that were by themselves or like what was I was I was seven and eight and nine and so I wasn't thinking that I was just looking for a daddy yeah a man alone so what kind of man would be alone at Disneyland? You gotta wonder. You yeah, <laughs> probably pretty easy targets as far as like you know you're concerned going in because yeah, exactly. any man that's hanging out by himself at Disneyland probably has some weird intentions being there. 
Right, and it picks up a little girl and buys her lunch. You know, that's that's uh, you got to wonder. But I didn't wonder when I was seven, eight, and nine. I just wanted to get on the bus and go home, and I couldn't do that till they had the pictures. And I didn't, you know, I wasn't thinking about the morality of any of this, and I had no basis in religion except for, um, you know, the Church of Satan and satanic rituals and Saturnalias, which are are performed in in uh, Christmas is actually the birth of Nimrod, which is a demon, and his birthday is celebrated with the Saturnalia, worshiping Saturn. And that's when they do the human sacrifice. So, and I believe he was the first thing. one to, that was almost like the first skinwalker, also too, because he was uh, he he was wearing Adam's skin at one point uh, during, in the Bible, correct? Adam's skin. Yeah, Nimrod. I had uh, somebody on a long time ago that was doing some really uh, deep research into Nimrod, and uh, he was saying that he was like the first like skinwalker, so to speak. And he was saying that at some point he found the skin of Adam and was wearing the skin of Adam. Well, they shapeshift. There's no doubt about that. And I've been in places in like in the United Nations. I'm sure you see you come across shapeshifters there. So uh, part of the magic part of all this MK Ultra stuff is that there are other entities that can do these things. And uh, we have to be like America's number one. There's no sex trafficking here. As long as we can all believe that, then we'll never accept that there are Saturnalias with child sacrifices and hundreds of kids are brought in from other countries simply to drink their blood. You know, that can't be because then we wouldn't be the number one country, you know. Um, that's why I'm so interested in the in the name of your program. I mean, until we understand our reality, we can't fix these things. If you're rigidly stuck in the idea that, you know, this is it and what they what we've been told is true, no, it's it's not. I don't know how we hold together and why we don't all fly apart. I'm surprised that people don't start to see through it too, as far as like the U S intentionally trying to control narratives, as far as like sex trafficking and all this like weird occult stuff uh, involving children. Cause you know, there's people like Epstein that pop up, for example, and they intentionally try to push all the blame on them and they will make documentaries about these people to try to control the narrative on it, to make it look like it was all this person's fault. Nobody else was involved. Like as far as like America goes, it's almost like we've been kind of like washed out to it. Like the average person knows it's there, but they ignore that it exists, even though they're watching documentaries about it because they make it again, they're controlling the narrative. They make it seem like it's not close to home. It's like far away. It's all these like specific, like special elites, uh, not realizing that, you know, that's the figurehead, but there's runners everywhere that are trying to do this stuff. They're snatching people up. And as far as like a criminal organization goes, I mean, a lot of these people that are snatching kids and putting in women and putting them into sex trafficking, they may not even be aware of any of this like occult magic principles to it. They're looking at it from the aspect of, you know, trying to make money. You know, they're going to make a couple thousand per person versus having to have a facility to try to like, um, produce drugs or do whatever else. Um, as far as like a criminal goes, it seems like the most bang for your buck. Um, if you're just trying to make as much money as possible is to, you know, traffic people and, uh, it's, it's all around us. And I mean, I, I live in Michigan and there's a lot of freeways around here. So there's like really high problems with it in this area. And, uh, that's why I'm always trying to talk out about is cause I feel like people hear about it all the time, but they don't really realize how close to home it is. And specifically, if you're, you know, at a grocery store that's right next to a freeway, um, that's just a straight opening. And 
you know, people need to be aware of like what actually happens. It's not just as simple as somebody getting sold into prostitution. There's a lot more of these weird occult principles that start coming into it when you start getting a little bit higher up into the chain of things. And, uh, you know, if you fit that specific, what they want, like you're in that target range of age or whatever, um, you know, you're going to get pushed into these a little bit more in depth programs. Um, because you know it, you're you're available for them. You know you're a quick and easy target, and especially if you have nobody linked to you or looking for you, they can just push you right through the system, and nobody'd even realize that you were missing. Yeah, and I don't know how much as human beings we can understand this because it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's a horrific anti-human agenda of kidnapping and killing, killing children. But there is so, there's a maybe the magic in all this is the transdimensional. Um, dimensions of, of uh, our experience. I mean, as human beings, we're stuck in this one dimension. But if you're doing the mind uh, travel with the psi, you know, you, you actually go into different dimensions. The thing that uh, I found, though, if I went too far, I'd stop breathing. So I'd, then I'd be sick for weeks. So human, the human body can't do it, but they're there. Um, so I, I have the feeling that there are transdimensional beings that that appear, like you see them every so often. If you if you walk if you hang around the UN for a while, you start noticing. Um, hang around airports, start start seeing oddness in in, in beings that come and go, and and um, so I think I think they're trying to get us to destroy each other so that they can come in. I don't think they're as strong as we are. Um, I mean, you hear a lot of different like uh, ideas of what these beings could be. I mean, they could be demons, they could be like reptilians. But coming from somebody that's actually been through, uh, you know, these programs, uh, what what do you kind of like base them as? How do you, how do you kind of like describe them? And I guess you probably be the the key person to kind of break down uh, all these different ideas of what people think these things might actually be. Uh, I don't know. Um but I ran into a lot of them in Russia. I mean, it's more, uh, when I went there, one of the reasons I think I was really comfortable there is that they acknowledge all this. So it's not like a, a big deal if you wake up and suddenly a room's full of mud people, you know, which happens. And some of them came back with me. I mean, I mean, it sounds absolutely nuts. I realize that, but I, I think your show is someplace you could say these kinds of things. Um, but they accept that a lot more than than uh, we're we're so rigid in our our uh, this is what we're allowed to believe and we're free but we're not free I mean we're very constrained very tightly constrained and I mean sure so that with the COVID I mean you sit you stand five feet next to somebody and they're like screaming at you what you know ridiculous the masks were ridiculous the whole the whole pandemic was ridiculous but it was being pushed on us and. We took it because this is a very rigid culture. It's, um, it's all a, ma a matter of mental manipulation. Because I mean, even when it comes to like like sexual things, like in other countries, they're a little bit more open as like far as like sexuality goes versus the United States. Like we think we're very open, but we're not as open, nearly as open as the, these other countries. But I mean, considering what the elites and the government are into, I mean, that could be an intentional ploy because then when they're trying to conduct this sex magic stuff, it's probably easier to separate somebody and cause trauma when they have no okay as far as like sexuality goes in culture. 
And now we're getting into this kind of like weird aspect of like progression as a culture, as far as like sexuality goes, where it seems like sexuality as it is now is almost like trauma to begin with, where I feel like just with all of the whole like woke agenda and everything, the way it's kind of progressing, um, I feel like they're, they're instilling trauma in these people ahead of time. And now they're making it so that they have no like real like association with their sexuality because they've been so like almost like weirdly open about it. Like it's taking away like the stipulation after going from a culture that kept everything kind of in the closet to now where this culture where, you know, we're talking about people like being able to change genders, like it's completely okay. Like it, it, it's causing trauma because you went from like one extreme to the other in a quick period of time. And it all happened throughout this COVID thing where obviously the whole idea of it wasn't just, you know, the, the shots and the masks and all that form of control. It was almost like a completely flipping the culture all at one time so that nobody really knows where to stand now. And I feel like they're almost trying to usher in this idea of, you know, they're going to have this one figurehead that kind of comes in and it'll be kind of like almost like that antichrist type of um, scenario where they're going to unite all the sides by one type of like common goal. And in turn, it's going to create this this ongoing force that's going to continue to like almost like cause a great reset as far as like the world goes. Yeah, I really feel for the kids today. I mean, when I was growing up in the program, at least half the time I was in public schools and the schools were my advocates. I mean, that's, that's where I was comfortable. People supported me. That's where I learned, actually learned behaviors. And I mean, I, I would have been feral otherwise. And, and now the kids don't have that uh, unless, um, unless they're in private schools or in, or in really good schools. But I, I think kids are just growing up without any foundation. And, uh, yeah, sex magic is not sexuality. It's it's manipulation and violence. And and the whole MK Ultra programming for all of it, super soldiers, everything. It's all manipulation and violence. And then you become a soulless creature that continues the manipulation and violence. And then uh, you get a mess like our current government, because I bet half those people have been through the MK Ultra program. And uh, that's a lot of why I came forward is that I hear, you know, what they're saying I heard before. Uh, the idea that there is no right, there is no wrong, there's no night, there's no day, there's no right, there's no left. You know, everything is tolerance and there's no gender, there's no boy, there's no girl, no mother, no father. I mean, it, they took everything to nothing. And when you take the entire human consciousness to nothing, what you get is green. So like when the Sufis spin and spin and spin and spin until they go into a trance, they see green. Or um, they used to take me and spin me on a wheel faster and faster and faster, chanting those things. There is no this, there is no that, there's no difference. Everything is, is the same. And then eventually I'd see green. So that's what the green agenda is, the obliteration of human consciousness. And... um. Like when, when you were, when you were a kid going through all of this type of stuff, like was obviously you, you got picked at a very young age to go through it. So you may not have had any type of like idea about how things were or should be. Um, like, 
I know that you said that you didn't really like realize that all this stuff happened to you until you got a little bit older, but do you remember your like mindset as a kid where like, did you think that this was just like how things were? Uh, did you know that something was off and that you needed to like tell somebody or like how, like how do you, do you remember any of like what you were like feeling as far as like when you were a kid and like what you thought like the world was versus what it actually was? I always thought it was wrong. And, and I was always trying to tell people and I was always trying to, I was always getting the um, beaten by my parents because I was going to churches, trying to tell people, I was trying to tell the neighbors, I was trying to tell everybody, I'm still telling everybody, you know, but it used to make them extremely angry because they'd have to get up and, and move, you know, they'd call in social services, which really meant something back then. They'd call in the police, the school would they'd show up at our house, we'd take off and uh, move. So I went to many, many different grade schools. My family just kept moving. And half the time I was in school and half the time I was in the MK Ultra program away from home. I, I attended school one day over the line for being you know, allowed to progress to the next grade, but the rest of the time I wasn't there. But I was smart enough to you know, keep up without having the whole year's worth. And it forced me to develop social skills if I hadn't, I wouldn't have survived. So, um, yeah, it's only gotten worse and it's gotten tougher. If anything, it's gotten tougher for kids. Um, so that's a lot of why I've come forward. There's, there's any number of very successful people who've been through the program and many have contacted me and to come forward is to like, destroy their lives basically. And I already did that. I mean, I'll never get a security clearance or a, a high, high ranking government job or, you know, I'm excluded from a lot of things because I've come forward. I mean, I could have taken the other path, but I didn't. And, um, doesn't coming forward, like almost save you in a way, because if you're public about it, then they don't target you because then it's just going to draw more question into what's actually going on. Like, if you were an MK Ultra survivor, isn't like kind of the safest option to come forward about it, even though you're gonna kind of blacklist yourself from other things, but at least you know you're you're safe in the aspect of they can't come after you, otherwise it's gonna bring more questions to like the average citizen. I don't know. I don't know that uh I don't, I'm not sure. I, I was surprised. I thought I would get more criticism and more condemnation when I published Sparky. But I didn't. I mean people have been it sort of came out at the right time because people were just beginning to realize that that this was happening and this was affecting our country and this kids were being sacrificed and kids were being ritually abused and these things just just the beginning awareness of that and um i, I don't know where we're going from here i think we're in terrible trouble and there's no reason to keep quiet about it i mean <laughs> Um, we've got to f find solutions. And I, I think my best role is to tell you my experience. So I wrote Sparky as I experienced it. So I'm writing it as a child because a child doesn't think or process the way an adult does. So I could write a, a, an adult version of Sparky, which would be an analysis from my physician and psychological and I mean, all the enormous experience I have working with trafficking victims, which is clearly what I was. But um, 
I thought the most value was to get as far as I could into being a kid. So I spent two years basically regressed. It was very, very difficult. And because um, children are magical thinkers. Mm-hmm. So they're not moral thinkers or they're not like, um, oh dear, I'm being abused. I need to call the principals. They're, they're like, I can, I can do this. I'm a white knight. You know, I've got a sword. <laughs> you know, it, I was always like having fantasies and living in different worlds and, and doing the things that kids do. And that's how you're going to have to approach when you start working therapy with kids. You know, I've worked with hundreds of Russian kids who've been through this kind of abuse in Central Asian kids. And this kind of dissociation and magical thinking is sort of the best therapy they have. So um, to escape from it, because the truth is they don't in their lives escape from it. But uh, mentally they can learn to find a safe place to be, you know, in a dissociative state. So um, so I think it's people like you that are going to figure out uh, the overall overlay of of how you begin to to fix this i can be the expert from inside but um i don't know i still can't read the bible so that that was programmed into my mind and i've tried my entire life i can listen to it so i listen to it when you try to read it does it do you have like a mental blocker you just like can't continue reading or like what what exactly like happens that causes you to not be able to read it I start reading it backwards, start actually reading it backwards, cannot read it. And, and uh, the harder I try, eventually I'll go to sleep. So it's, it was uh, that access, they tried to deny me that access. Um, but I, I listened to it, I've listened to it all the way through several times. And it's interesting, I, I like to listen to psalms, and I hear something different every time. So there is, there's a value in listening rather than reading. Since I can't read, I can't read it, so there's other ways. So um, It means that I still, I'm still programmed, it means it's still in there. For the sake of uh, hopefully helping out some people that may not have even have, because you, you said that you hadn't even realized that you were really into, in this program until way, way later on in life, um, for people that just kind of know something's off and they don't exactly know how to place it, uh, do you have any like recommendations on something that somebody could do to possibly regress to figure out if this type of like programming has happened to them so that they can kind of start taking the first steps towards like deprogramming themselves from it? Because I feel like a lot of people who have been through this uh, may not even be aware until they have like certain specific like deja vu moments. Yeah, I had an interesting, uh, I was speaking at a conference a few months ago, and I had, I think, four women about my age who didn't know each other came up individually and had had experiences. They could remember snippets of their own lives that were similar to my life, but they couldn't remember the bulk of their childhood. And it was just clear that they'd been through the same experience. When we dug a little deeper, it turned out we were all in the same family groups. We had the same bloodlines. So this, it's so complicated. There's so many things. And I have a hunch that the solutions to all this are very simple, but you can't see it from the inside. You know, it's like we're in the water tank. We can't see the outside of the water tank. Um, 
but it's it's anti-human. It's counterproductive. The human race is not going to benefit from any of this. And uh, I think the most powerful weapon the human being has is their soul and their ability to connect with the divine. And uh, we've got to be doing a whole lot of that. Interestingly, um, I've been fascinated by the first four chapters of Revelation, if you're familiar with the where John is talking about the, the visitation by Jesus, and he's talking about what happened, what will happen to the churches of Asia, the seven churches, if they don't straighten up. Uh, for anybody that isn't familiar, if you'd love to, to share with them, I know that I have a lot of listeners that are kind of around the range where I have a lot of Christian listeners, and then I have a lot of people that come from different perspectives. But uh, for anybody that isn't familiar, uh, if you'd like to fill them in, I'm sure they would, uh, they would love to, they would appreciate it. Well, it's really, it's a fascinating thing. I, the Revelation is the book uh, that was written by John, who is in exile in Patmos, and uh, in, uh, living in a cave at, on the island of Patmos. And he, he wrote about the, the a visitation he had by um, the seven angels and, the, and by Jesus himself, who spoke to him. And at that time, there were the seven churches, they weren't really churches, they were areas of Turkey where um, Christianity was just starting. In fact, where the word Christian came from was, was that area. And these were the pinnacles of civilization at that time. These were the most beautiful cities, the most cultured cities, art, music, sculpture, high levels of architecture, which we can't even do today. And they were all built on star forts, by the way. And, um, but on the first... And everybody skips those first four chapters. It's, oh, just details about the church. I think it's the most important part of the whole whole book of Revelation because everybody jumps to the monsters, the angels, the flying discs, the things with eyes, the, you know. No, look at the first four chapters. And in that, he calls uh, Christ, speaking to John, calls um, the city of Pergamon the seat of Satan. And... It was the most beautiful city. It had a huge temple to Zeus with beautiful uh, statuary and architecture, and it was the wealthiest city in Asia. And uh, he said, you know, if you don't stop tolerating evil and you don't stop following the practices of the Nicolaitans. Now, the Nicolaitans were the people that practiced the Saturnalia and child sacrifice and all the things that that uh, I went through in MKUltra he's talking about and he said if you don't stop this you will be dust basically and uh within a few hundred of course they didn't stop and within a few hundred years they were dust it went from being the most beautiful like new york city crumbling to dust um and a really interesting thing about that is that in the 1930s the nazis who were coming to power and looking for occult power they wanted occult power they were looking for it everywhere, read those chapters and said, ah, Pergamon, the seat of Satan, let's go get it. And they did. So they went and they excavated Pergamon and they took all the temples, all the significant, everything they could find that was left, and they took it to Berlin, where it is now. So if you want to see Pergamon, the ancient city of, of, uh, of uh, Pergamon, you have to go to Berlin. 
I'm almost surprised that it didn't get taken into the United States because I mean, connecting in with what you said with being the highest like points for sex trafficking, it's Germany and the United States would seem to be the two main countries that are the most into occult principles. So I'm, I'm almost surprised yeah. that it didn't get moved to America at some point. <laughs> it might have, you know, you don't know. Uh, yes. And project paperclip brought the Germans from, from uh, Nuremberg to United States and resettled them at least uh, 10,000, 15,000. And all the records, all their records, including their new identities, their new names, were all in the Oklahoma City building, the Murtaugh building that was blown up in o Oklahoma City. So do any of those even still exist? Do we know who these people are? I mean, there's a lot of fronts for stuff, too, where, you know, they may make it look like it's in Germany uh, because they don't want people to really keep like an eye on it. But maybe they know that there's some type of like occult magic that's involved with these specific temples. So they, of course, if they're trying to, you know, conduct these occult practices, they're not going to have it out in the open where the public can see it. They might even have some type of like staged presentation of what it is so that they can actually hide the actual temples and be able to do what they're intending to do with these things because otherwise you know it's like they maybe have to do it in the middle of the night certain times but there's always going to be some type of like watchful eye on it so you know realistically if they're ever trying to use these things for any type of occult practice it's not going to be anywhere in any form of like a public eye be it you know in sight of cameras anything like that especially if they're trying to hide their faces and whoever's actually involved with it because you know all these really high up people i always say that uh you know you think you know all of these names of these people but realistically you know the bottom tier as the top tier the top top tier like their names have never been spoken you have no idea what their names are <laughs> yeah and they do use um museums and monuments and all that for occult practices at night um, I'm, I'm just thinking of, of some of the museums that, that uh, I was taken to for different rituals and practices. Specifically, the, there's an Egyptian museum in San Jose, California. And it has a significant, uh, it's supposed to have a, uh, it does have a beautiful Egyptian collection, but they also use it for all kinds of rituals. So, yeah, it's a, they're active at night, that's for sure. And when I looked up the to find Pergamon in Berlin, it's the Berlin Museum, and it's closed now apparently for renovation, but it's been closed for a couple of years. So maybe you know, maybe the temple is somewhere else. I don't know. They got one of those uh, big plaster fake temples that they set up real quick because I mean you hear a lot about that kind of stuff where you know it looks like it's real, but people come up to it and they realize that it's it's actually plaster. <laughs> like I wouldn't be surprised if somebody, if they keep it behind ropes and then when somebody actually goes up to it, they realize that it's completely false. <laughs> uh, well, the Germans went to great expense to move the entire temple of Zeus to Berlin. When, uh, so a lot of people, when it comes to like these elite, uh, child trafficking, occult magic type of principles, you hear a lot of these uh, connections where they go into like adrenochrome. And I feel like adrenochrome is one of those things where a lot of people don't really have an understanding of what it is. It's kind of looked at as like a drug, for example, because of things such as like fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Um, but at least from like your background and your understanding, um, do, you, do you kind of have more of an understanding of what adrenochrome is or if adrenochrome is even a real thing and not just maybe some type of like oh, yeah. intentional ploy or. Oh, look at the movie monsters. 
the Disney animated movie Monsters. Oh, there it is. with the uh, where they have the the vials where they they have the fear. And I've talked about this yeah. a few times on the show, and there's actually supposed to be uh, in the background at some point, like the the chemical molecular structure for adrenochrome, which is almost looks like a rabbit. And that's where the whole term for people that aren't familiar with, you know, follow the white rabbit comes from is because adrenochrome's chemical symbol looks like a rabbit if you flip it on the side. Yeah, there's the whole thing. Uh, terrifying children uh, coming out from their beds and their closets and grabbing at night, which is what they do. I mean, that's the whole culture of the thing and scaring them and then basically harvesting their blood. And what, at least from your so, understanding, yeah. like what, what's supposed like the average person that kind of digs into adrenochrome, they kind of get this idea that it's almost like a fountain of youth where it's intended to keep people young for a long time. Um, but like w from your background and your understanding of it, like, wh what do you think that like the practical use of adrenochrome is? Do you think it's, you know, something that's more like taboo than anything it's, you know, but it doesn't actually do anything. Or do you think that there is some type of like magical principle to it where it might revert aging? Or do you think that it might just be kind of like a drug just because of, you know, having high ends of adrenaline involved in it or like what's, what's kind of your understanding of like what the practical use of adrenochrome is? I think First of all, I don't believe in magic. I think magic is, is uh, there's nothing that has magical properties in in the way that it, it's meant. You know, the, the Disneyland magic thing is, is baloney. Um, adrenochrome, I think it, it, it shouldn't do anything that comes from the harm of children ever. Um, the whole thing is, is just so appalling. I can't even... I don't, un yeah, it's just, it's real. It's absolutely real. And, and I know they harvest children. And I know that um, in the Saturnalias, they eat parts of children. And it's just absolutely the most horrifying thing as to whether they benefit from it. I Do they force this on any of the, like, victims? Do they make any of, like, the children that they're doing these occult weird principles with? Um, do they do they make them ingest adrenochrome at any point? Or is that, like, specifically kind of meant for them? I don't know, because nobody ever explained it. Um, we were constantly being smeared in blood. And as a physician, I cannot stand the smell of blood because of that. I used to get flashbacks every time I'd, I'd be working on somebody that was injured and smell the blood. So it, it's not anything. Uh, I used to go back to school and I'd have big black circles around my eyes. So I did, were they harvesting adrenochrome from me after severe abuse? I, it could well be, I was always anemic. So, um, I was a healthy kid, except I had chronic anemia, but no one could explain. So it's perfectly possible I was part of that harvesting program. I certainly would never take it. So, um, yeah, we're, we're dealing with an all-out assault on humanity, and we have to stop it. As far as... Um the different types of like programs that were involved in MK ultra also kind of going back so that if people were involved, they can possibly start to realize it and start to come to terms with these things. Um, what, what was like the different types of, 
things they were doing. You said that there was like the super soldier programs. There was like the sex magic programs. Um, was there any other like programs that people should be aware of just so that if they were involved with them, they might be able to start connecting dots for themselves? Well, if you look at the, uh, the uh, church commission, which was the congressional hearings in 76 and 77 that uh, were held in Congress, they produced a document which, which does list uh, a whole group of, of different programs under the monarch categories because they did get a hold of some documents. Most of them were destroyed, but they did get some documents and they got testimonies uh, where the CIA admits that it was doing these programs and that it was doing it to children and that there were 85 different programs in 150 uh or 150 programs in 85 different institutions, hospitals and universities around the country in Canada. And uh, so they admitted to it. And there, so there had to be thousands of children involved in these programs. And there's and the thing to do is to look up the church commission hearings and look at the lists and see. Uh, when I read about the sex magic program, it was obvious that that's what I was in. Um, but what I tell people, um, people, you, you fit a profile. Like uh, I come, my family came right out of OSS, CIA, NSA, <clears throat> Templars, um, uh, Yale, Harvard, you know, that that group of, of people which where this seems to run down in families. And uh, the people that came up to me at this conference that had very similar stories to mine all came from uh, the same kind of family background. And, and their symptom was they couldn't remember anything. So they're, here they are, successful people. They have families, businesses. Um, they're quite well known, but they can't remember anything about their childhoods. So there's, there's a, a dead giveaway that you got something you're, you're, that is too horrific and too horrible for your mind to accept. And so what I, what I, I think the, the advice I give, whether it's you know, right or wrong, is is that when you, if you do, there's a reason you've buried those memories. There's a very, very good reason, and that is that they are going to be f extremely difficult for you to handle. Physically, emotionally, everything about it is going to be difficult, and it's going to be hard on everyone around you as, as you start to uh, flood these memories back and, and, and start, you know, becoming different people as these personalities are released. It's, it's a horrific thing to go through. So you, you need to be in a safe place to do that where you're not harming yourself or anyone else. So, you know, you need to plan for this, for this exit from this sort of state of existential grace where you don't remember because um, you're, you're protecting yourself. It's, it's a protection. And uh, probably the fact that you don't remember is why you survived at all. Because you're going to have to, if you remember, then you have to forgive yourself. You know, I think about all the things I was made to do and hadn't dealt with, you know, my own culpability and how I felt about that, which is horrible. Say a lot of people have this idea that when you're involved in MK Ultra, that more so that they wipe your memory. But assuming at least from like your, your uh, story that you're telling, um, it's not so much that they actually like wipe your mind, but that they cause so much trauma that your brain itself tries to push everything out. 
to the point where like you don't even like think about it essentially um, until something happens and then it's almost like you kind of have to like force yourself to think about it in order to come to terms with it because assumably you know you probably went your whole life even if it was subconscious um, having just like a moral like weight on you especially you know considering a lot of the things that they made you do even if you didn't know it in your forefront I feel like you still like subconsciously knew it and had to find a way to come to terms with it, even though you didn't really know at the time what you had to come to terms with. Yeah. I think it's like like soldiers coming back from war and having to deal with what they did. You know, they don't talk about it and they forget. And it's a coping mechanism. Uh, and, and that's how human beings handle trauma. And that's how children, that's, that's your very best survival mechanism is not to, try to carry this burden with you that you can't handle because then you decompensate. And a lot of people do. So a lot of people who've been through the program have completely shattered lives. In fact, I think that's, that's uh, they're either in high level government positions making a total mess up of this country or they're decompensated and falling apart and, and uh, can't, can't function or they've killed themselves or they're, struggling with it. Um, it's interesting. I, I've just met Kathy, Kathy O'Brien, who's, who uh, I read her. Are you familiar with Kathy O'Brien? Yeah. She was sort of the first one to come out. She, she wrote Transformation of America, which is about her experiences growing up in a program very similar to what I grew up in. And, uh, um, you know, she talks about not uh, forgetting and and uh, uh, it was wonderful to connect with her so you know the connections are are starting to be made uh, between survivors but um, I don't think the answers are going to come you know we can provide the information but the the answer is going to come from people like you who can investigate from the outside and know what normal is you know you can't expect I may look like I know what normal is but um I think you know more about normal than I do. It's one of those things that there's, you go through something that's that traumatic and there is, you know, you feel a sense of normalcy, but you're never, you know, going to be able to sadly fully like achieve com being completely just like normal again. And I was going to ask this a little bit earlier, kind of connecting in with everything. But um, when it comes to like MK Ultra, for example, obviously they never really stopped doing the program. They just kind of changed the name and progressed it down the line. And uh, one of the things that I feel like is kind of like the new age wave of what MKUltra might be is uh, a lot of this like abduction phenomenon. And that's what causes, it, it causes people such trauma that it's, it's very similar to this where people try to just cover it up, pretend like it never happened in the first place. And a lot of the stuff, when you really break it down, uh, seems like it could be very intentional trauma based to the point where they seem like they're trying to get something out of causing trauma to people. Um, but also coming from like your perspective, uh, w w what do you think about that connection? Do you think that it might be possible that they might be continuing this program and pushing oh, trauma absolutely. on people through alien abduction and making it almost again, kind of controlling the narrative, like we were talking about earlier in the show, where now instead of looking at the U S government, uh, you know, you're looking for green men coming from the sky. So it completely takes the blame off of them and they can essentially, you know, snatch up anybody they want, do whatever they want to them, drop them off somewhere. And, you know, rather than, you know, knowing that there was somebody in the government or 
an actual person causing this trauma to them. Instead, they have this like monster's face essentially, and then they can never really come to terms with it because they never get to, they, they can't rationalize it because it just seems like it's something that's, that's out of this world at that point where you're never going to be able to reconnect to it to really understand it. I think there's a lot of effort to make sure none of the people that have been traumatized by any of these things can ever fully put it together. And again, that's why I think those of us who have been victimized in all these different ways, you know, whether people believe they were abducted by aliens, I mean, who am I to say they weren't? I don't know. I, I don't think I ever was, but um, I was abducted in all kinds of other ways. Um, we're probably, and the fact that I can't read the Bible, I know there's defects there. And I know that, that uh, having been sexually tortured for years really destroys, I think, the, the connection kind of, kinds of connections I'd like to have. I can't. Um, so the wounded have to comfort each other and provide the information and the whole have to put it together and care enough to uh, find a solution to it, using the wounded as, as a resource. Have you, uh, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, of course. And uh, I was gonna gonna ask too. And of course, you don't have to go into like any kind of detail or anything. But assumably, um, like it was hard after all of this to be able to connect with somebody and have it like a, a significant other. And as soon as you started coming to terms with all of this kind of stuff, I'm sure it was really hard for your significant other also. And for anybody that again has possibly gone through some of these experiences and they're almost like scared to let their significant other in on all of this stuff. Um, do you kind of have any like recommendations on, you know, how you might go about possibly, you know, making, breaking that, breaking that ice? Because assumably the first person that you might start to open up with these experience to is to is your significant other. Um, but do you, do you have any advice on like how somebody might be able to kind of cushion the blow to really start to, you know, come to terms with a lot of this stuff that they may have been through with like their significant other. Cause assumably, you know, that's going to be your main, main support, main, main support going through these types of things. And I mean, part of even realizing that you've been through these might even be that you might even have an issue connecting with your significant other, even though you do, you know, feel maybe like a, a different kind of love, but still, still like an attachment or like a, a love for them, of course. Well, fortunately, now there are some books and more information out there than like when I was starting to go through it where there was absolutely nothing and everybody just thought it was completely crazy, is is uh, give your significant other my book, you know, have them read Sparky and say, you know, something similar happened to me. You know, that, that saves you having to say all these, all these kinds of things that, that uh, are going to come up or Transformation of America. And there's some others also, um, but I know Sparky is as accurate as I could make it. And it, it has triggered a response in a lot of people who then see it in themselves or see it in someone around them. So it gets the discussion going. Um, I would start with that just to shelter yourself. So you're not trying to explain everything. And as, as to whether psychologists or psychiatrists now can deal with it, that, psychiatrist that I had who was excellent and uh, and uh, I thought the world of him I had no idea so we just went through 
uh, sort of standard psychoanalysts analysis and looked at all relationships. And so what I got out of that was not the big open door explanation that I was a torture subject of the CIA monarch program, but I learned how to manage it. And, um, and there's the other advice. It takes a long time, you know, and people aren't going to understand that, that if you're programmed as a child, I mean, that programming is, is built into every cell in your body you have to undo every single bit of it. And uh, when I wanted to become, um, really take Christianity to heart, which meant having to give up myself, you know, you give up yourself, which meant giving up magic. I thought I was going to die. <clears throat> you know, that, that was myself. That was my tool. That's who I was. And, and, um, uh, I totally forgot where I was going with this. Oh, about the, the that it's very, very slow. You know, it's a slog. There's no easy, quick watch a movie and it, and it's over kind of thing. It's not going to happen. It's, it's, I suppose it's like being an alcoholic, only having been an alcoholic for years and years and years. And you, you have to do one day at a time, one piece by piece. Um, except that it, it started at the beginning. I mean, you weren't an alcoholic from the age of six, but that's where your primary programming is is wired in. So all that wiring is in there wrong. Is and, um, coming from somebody that's been involved in this enti their entire life, and for somebody that may not, you know, feel like there's like a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, is is there any? thing that you'd like to say to them as far as, uh, you know, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, that there is a point where you're going to get to where you're going to be okay. Um, do you, ha do you have any, like, uh, I guess, inspirational words as far as like somebody that maybe even be scared that may be fully aware of that they've been through this stuff, but they're scared of really taking that step to really understand it because they feel like they're going to open up a can of worms. Like, do you, do you have any, like, uh, like words of wisdom for them, um, about there possibly being like a light at the end of the tunnel or them feeling okay one day? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you are going to open Pandora's box. But you know what was at the bottom of the box after all the things flew out? Do you know what was left? <laughs> a little tiny spirit, and that spirit was hope. And yes, the hope is at the bottom of Pandora's box. And if, if you, the important thing to realize is that that, that's not you. The craziness isn't you. Craziness was forced upon you. And you were made to do terrible things that are so bad that you refuse to remember. But that's not you. It's not who you are. So, you know, take that hope, forgive yourself, and realize and be patient. Understand that it's going to be a slow, slow process. And... Uh, it is going to affect the people around you. And don't try to rush it. Don't try to go too fast. Just take it slow. And you'll get to the point where you, it's like a grieving. You know, you lose, go through a disaster and you grieve. And the grief doesn't go away, but you, you learn to manage it. You learn to live with those constraints. And uh, it, it has helped me a great deal to become a Christian, but anything that gives you faith and some, some structure outside of the, outside of the mind control is an important crutch or tool. Uh, 
But remember, there's hope at the bottom of that chaos because you're going to open the box and it's going to be chaos. You'll see the chaos. But remember, there's hope under there. For uh, anybody that, you know, wants to dig into your books, of course, and may need somebody to talk to about this kind of stuff, I guess two things. Uh, where, one, where can people come and find your books? And two, uh, do you have any recommendation, recommendations as far as like a specific like uh, counselor or a specific group or anything like that that anybody can kind of break the ice and start kind of talking to um, that's going to believe them, of course, because half, half the battle, of course, um, you know, you, you drop MK Ultra that name, even though, you know, it's publicly known that it was a real thing, but there's still a lot of people that are, you know, not going to believe you. So you, do you have any like recommendations on somebody that's almost like a safe space that people could come to if they needed to talk to somebody about these types of things? Uh, unfortunately, I, I will go to the books, read the books. There's a lot of information in there and a lot of, a lot of uh, sort of guidance on, on how to deal with the different aspects of the things that you'll encounter, you know, based on, on how young you were going in and, and what was done to you. Um, and you can get the books on my website, which has a, quite a lot of information about um, what I've done, like with human trafficking. And the website, um, Shane will put underneath the video, right? Yep, yeah, I'll put it down in the show description, make it quick and easy for everybody, of course. Yeah, you can just go in there and get the books. They're on Amazon, but I'd rather you get them off my publisher site because uh, I want to support my publisher. And uh, in terms of, of uh, therapy, or this is so new. This is so new. Sparky just came out in uh, tw the end of 2021. Uh, Transformation of America, which is Kathy O'Brien's book, came out about 10 years ago and uh, really helped me get going but um other than that there there isn't a lot there's fictional things and there's books that are written by um, people whose lives were completely destroyed which i would think would be less helpful than than like reading sparky because i did compensate for it i i learned to deal with it and i i handled the traumas as they came along and that's that's probably the most i can do for people um I don't know of a psychology group. There, there have been some, but um, I don't know how successful they've been. So I, I don't have, I don't have that. I think it's something that will develop. So you can contact me. I have an email on the website, and you can contact me and ask questions if you have questions. And of course, I'm always very into the aspect of uh, kind of self-help to a certain extent too. So just uh, coming from somebody who's written books about your experiences, um, do you feel that like sitting down and actually writing all these experiences out as hard as it may actually be might actually be beneficial and help people to come to terms with it? Um, like, do you recommend that if somebody has these memories um, that they actually just like sit down to write it out to kind of help to kind of come to terms with it? Actually, I think that's a very good idea. In fact, I couldn't talk about any of this. I could never have come on an interview show and spoken about this. I, I couldn't do it until I'd written it and read it myself, read my own words. So in a way, I've written my own script, which allows me to talk about it. Although there's whole aspects of it, I, I can't talk about it. I start losing my voice like now. But um, yes, I think it's a good idea to do that it'd be great in a group setting to like uh 
write these things out and, and share each other's stories. I, I'm always, I, I personally never trusted the, the groups because I think um, I just was too suspicious. So, so that's why I'm not the greatest. Um, I don't, I don't have the, uh, you know, I've done a lot of therapy. I've worked with a lot of victims of trafficking. I've worked with hundreds of child victims, but in terms of working with people who have the same trauma that I have had. Um, I'm not there yet, but um, we have to get there. So please contact me, you know, the more people working on this, the better. And then uh, one other side note before we start uh, closing up a little bit here, you obviously are very active as far as the whole um, like child trafficking concept goes, but coming from an adult, um, do you have some warning signs to look out for for somebody that may be concerned um, about a child? Specifically, do you have like um, like certain visuals, like anything like that, that would be a red flag for somebody to kind of keep an eye out for um, as far as like children possibly being trafficked? Well, that we should do another show because we didn't get into the into the um, how as a community you deal with human trafficking because the problem is you'll spot these kids. And then there's no help for them. You know, you, you call Child Protective Services and the, they pick them up and traffic them. Or they go into the foster system and they get trafficked again. Or they get picked up by the police and they get trafficked again. And, and here we have a government that is lost, lost, has no idea where 85,000 migrant children are. Unaccompanied migrants have come into this country, 85,000, which is what they what they testified, DHS testified, or Border Patrol DHS testified at the um, congressional hearings this past week. How do you lose 85,000 children? It's institutionalized child trafficking, abuse, probably uh, ritual sacrifice. I, and what do you as a citizen do? And what you do is do what we did in Russia, which is to create community coalitions of trusted um police, trusted educators, trusted, so everything based on one-on-one -on -one relationships and you build help networks, rescue and help networks. And uh, I did that for 10 years in Russia with the Angel Coalition and we rescued, um, we documented rescues of 70,000 children wow. in the course of 10 years. Ooh. But not just rescuing them, but getting them into um, shelters where they were safe, into families where they were safe, back to their own families where they were safe. So, I mean, you can't just, you, you can go out there, do a raid, pull in a bunch of kids, and then they just get re-trafficked. So, um, yes, let's do another show and talk about how you build community coalitions to actually stop child trafficking. Absolutely. You know, focused on MK Ultra, but there are solutions that uh, communities have to do. And the resistance against it is huge. But the, the huge player in that, the greatest help will come from the sheriffs. That's it's such a it's such a hard thing too that you know coming from somebody who's like a father of two also that it's it's kind of a messed up concept that the average person would expect that you know you could tell your local police officer tell whoever um, about something that seems off but not realizing again that all of this is interconnected more than they realize and that you're never going to find solace through government means. And that also being said, and how, how many kids that you've saved, like that, that's an absolutely beautiful thing. And, you know, there's not a lot of people out in the world like you. And it's awesome that you took 
the trauma that you had and turned it into something positive and you were able to help other people in turn and you developed this whole method on how to basically go around the government as far as this stuff goes to actually be able to help people and the world the world the world needs more people like you as far as I'm concerned. And that's a beautiful thing. And I would definitely love to have you back on the show to talk about that so that we can start incorporating this into more areas and people can stop relying on the government. Like they're actually going to do anything because again, you, you break it down into the simplest of terms. And if you have a kid that's in the system and there's no parents looking for them, you know, there's, nobody would even realize that they're gone until somebody sits down and does the paperwork. And by then they're long gone, long gone. And nobody cares. That's the horrible thing. So, but the community will care if they know what to do. So, um, yeah, let's do another show and have like uh, Sheriff Mack on, who's the head of the president of the Association of Constitutional Sheriffs. And um, I've been working with him talking about how, working on how to build the Angel Coalition in America, which is surprisingly difficult. <laughs> it was easier in Russia. Well, the good news is I have a lot of diehard listeners that are spread all over the place. So, I mean, it's a starting point where, you know, the more shows that you go on, the more you start talking about this, like you were kind of saying, I feel like, uh, you know, you guys have the information, but people that are kind of sitting in my seat have the means to be able to interconnect this information to a lot of people. And that's how we're really going to start being able to make a difference as far as this goes. Cause again, being Absolutely. a father of two, that's this is one of my biggest passions is trying to protect the kids as much as possible. Good. Let's do it. Absolutely. So, of course, this conversation, uh, it got kind of dark at some points. Uh, There's a lot of information that needed to be said. Um, but I always like to try to leave on a high note. So that being said, uh, if there was any words of wisdom that you could bestow on the listeners, uh, what would it be? Uh, Americans get really down on themselves. And we're talking about we've gone over the cliff. There's no hope. Our nation's lost. Nonsense. I mean, we still have, we have resources, we have power, we have, uh, we're well fed. I mean, yeah, we're threatened by, by everything and, uh, and some kind of interdimensional, bizarre, anti-human uh, genocide, which is going on, but we can fight it. I mean, we, we're not helpless. Uh, so, yeah, we're facing catastrophe, we're facing all these dangers, but we're equipped. As long as you keep your your soul, you keep your your connection to to spirituality and the higher self and the the um, we've got to we've just got to fight through this thing like our ancestors have fought through everything in the past or we wouldn't be here. Exactly, I agree with that one hundred percent. Pick up your sword and fight. I've said this actually, I think for the last couple shows that we've ended on is pretty much along the lines of, you know, don't sit back and wait for the government to help you. Like this is the time when it's time as a people to stand up and do it. No, the the people are going to have to do it. That's the only way that anything great's ever happened through history is when the people rise up and stop relying on somebody else to get stuff done for them. Yeah. You don't have to wait for the rest of the people. Do it yourself. Um, one more time, too, for anybody that wants to come and find your work. Um, of course, I'll include it down in the show description and everything. Um, but if anybody wants to come and find you, just one more time for, for just the straight audio listeners, uh, where can they come and find your work at? Well, it's julietengel.com. It's uh, J-U-L-I-E-T-T-E, Engel, all one word, E-N-G-E-L.com. 
<clears throat> so www.julietengel.com. You'll find find my work, find out about me, find links to my past work and all the previous podcasts and broadcasts I've done. I really appreciate you making the time to come on today. And uh, I'm really looking forward to having you come back on the show so we can dive even more into helping the kids is the best, best way of saying yeah. it. But I, I thank you again for coming on. And I thank you for talking about all your experiences and being somebody that's active on actually trying to help the community as much as possible. But I love your work. And again, thank you for coming on. Thanks, Shane. Good night. If you guys enjoyed the show, don't forget to take an extra five seconds to rate the show on Spotify. Or if you're so kind as to take an extra 30 seconds to review the show on iTunes, I'll definitely give you guys a shout out on the show. And uh, if you know anybody that you think would enjoy this episode, don't forget to share this episode with them through word of mouth, or you could even tag them in the episode or send them a link to the episode. So that's another way to help the show grow and uh, get some more listeners out there. All the growth that will be seen is through you guys and uh, anything you guys do. I definitely more than appreciate it. And uh, if you guys want to get a hold of me for any reason whatsoever, you guys can email me at inquiriesallrealitypodcast at outlook.com, or you guys can shoot me a message on Instagram, or you guys can go to the link tree, fill out the submission form up at the top, and that will go directly to my email. Uh, make sure you keep an eye on your spam and junk folder. Make sure nothing gets lost because I do respond to every message that I get from you guys. And uh, everything that I mentioned, of course, all available under the link tree, which is L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash inquiries of all reality podcast. And with that, hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. Mm-hmm.